I uh, notice as time goes by that some of you are backing away from the front. Some of you learned that I generally spit on the first two or three rows. There was a time in, uh, uh, you know, I used to do all this stuff on campus and, uh, uh, you, you know, white lights, yellow, blue lights, and, and it's really interesting what you see when you're speaking when you have white and blue lights coming up at you because you are spraying the first couple of rows. Uh, actually, I've had people show up with umbrellas uh, in order to, to uh, protect themselves. Uh, you know, I was thinking about some of you poor souls here. I mean, some of you really are poor souls. You have just been just sitting incredibly long periods of time. This was actually a plot. We actually did this on purpose. You know, um, those of us who came from an evangelical background spent our whole lives sitting. And then we ran into the Orthodox, and you made a stand. And the first time I ever went to a, a divine liturgy, I thought my legs were going to break. Uh, I just couldn't believe anybody could stand that long. So we decided that what we would do is you who have stood all your lives, we're going to make you learn how to sit. And we figured that you ought to spend at least four or five hours at a time learning to just sit and absorb. Uh, this session, I would like to make a fun session. The reason I want to make it a fun session has got to be fun for me or I'll fall asleep doing it. Uh, and by the way, I want to repeat, if I catch anybody sleeping, you're going to be in great trouble. I, I, I really, uh, you'll probably be called on to recite the Sermon on the Mount or uh, something like that, or, or at least to do a litany uh, backwards. <laughs> we'll have something for you to do. <clears throat> but... Uh, you know, I'm really worried about doing this session because I'm afraid that some of you are going to say that this is hype, and it's not hype, but it's going to sound like it a little bit at the beginning because the most important point that I am going to make during uh, this session this afternoon is going to sound a little hypey. But I don't believe there is any way to expand a parish without this particular point. And I'm going to use a passage from the Old Testament. And furthermore, I'm not going to tell you what the point is until I get good and ready. And I ain't good and ready yet. So I'm going to uh, read a passage that I just love. This comes from the 11th chapter of Genesis, okay? Now, the whole earth used the same language and the same words. And it came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. <laughs> Matt Holm, I want you to do a litany. <laughs> and the abomination of desolation set in. <laughs> And a pig was sacrificed on the altar. <laughs> you just can't believe how little that... You, you might be in a whole lot of trouble. I'll just guarantee you, I can talk a whole lot longer than you can sit. <laughs> And if you don't believe it, you go up to Duluth, Minnesota and ask the Presbytery of the First Presbyterian Church in Duluth because I think I have my all-time marathon there. I spoke to them for four and a half hours one night and um, they still haven't moved, you know. 
course, with Presbyterians, you can't tell who's quick or dead. You know, they're just... <laughs> they're God's frozen people, and <laughs> especially in Duluth, there was no way to know, you know. It's so far north. So you, you, you cannot punish me, but I can punish you. But I'll also punish the deacon. <laughs> Now, the whole earth used the same language and the same words. And it came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone and they used tar. Another translation says slime. Either one. They used brick. <laughs> you know, we build a lot of our churches with slime, don't we? <laughs> Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone and they used tar for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let us make for ourselves a name. Hang on to that. Let us make for ourselves a name lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. I love the next verse. You know, I think the Bible is filled with humor, and I think the next verse or two are some of the funniest passages, funniest verses in the Bible. And the Lord God came down to see the tower which the sons of men were building. I mean, can't you just see it? You know, I mean, the Lord sort of looks over the bulwarks of heaven, you know, and, hmm, look what these folks are doing. My, oh, my. Now, you know, you find nuggets in the scriptures. You know that? You know, you read these stories. It's obvious this one on the Tower of Babel, you know, and you hear it and, and you, you, you say, gee, did it even happen? And, and you get the biblical critics in these massive discussions. You know, did it even happen at all? Or was it a flood that flooded a two-inch square patch somewhere uh, in Mesopotamia? Or did it flood the whole earth? And they have all these big arguments. And in the midst of the big arguments, they miss the point. I mean, everybody misses the point. Uh, the ones that want to do away with it all, they miss the point. And the ones defending the, 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 the reality of the flood, they miss the point. I think the thing flooded, by the way. But here is, here is a nugget. And the Lord said, who's talking? Talk to me. Okay. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they all have the same language. And this is what they begin to do. And now what they purpose to, and now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Or as I memorized it when I was much younger, the Lord said, Behold, one people, one language, the way they are beginning to behave, nothing which they plan to do will be impossible for them. I believe that this particular verse of Scripture, when it comes to applying it to church, is more applicable to the Orthodox Church than to any other group on the earth. Because I do not believe that orthodoxy builds successfully without unity. I think we have about 2,000 years of evidence for that. Isn't that right? We don't do well when there is not unity. You can bring disunity. You, you can go down, and I do not mean this to be ugly, but you can go down to, to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and you can have Jimmy Swaggart in the midst of the most bizarre circumstances 
and the thing still holds on and he can still make it go and it can still work because unity is no issue whatsoever in building that particular form of a ministry. What it takes is showmanship. But if you're going to build the church of God, there has got to be unity. Now, we've been here for several days talking about methods. We've been challenged. We've been encouraged. We've talked about missions. We've talked about evangelism. We've talked about church growth. And right now we're talking about a subject that is probably as dear to the heart, not only of the average priest, but the average layman as any subject there is. Expanding the parish, growth in the parish. And the fact is, there's not going to be growth in your parish unless you are one people with one language because if you do not have that one people with one language, you can plan and plan and plan and absolutely nothing of consequence is going to happen. On the other hand, if you are one people with one language, there is nothing that you plan that will be impossible. You know, some people really get on, on our case. I mean, the, the, the hour very collectively. And when we start talking about the Orthodox being the church in America for the 21st century, it sounds dumb, doesn't it? I mean, it sounds like it's utterly impossible. Is that not true? I mean, realistically, do you really, don't answer this out loud, do you really believe in your heart that the Orthodox Church will be the church of North America in the 21st century? Well, I'll tell you, it isn't all that hard. It's not that difficult. Well, I take that back. What it will take is getting rid of the petty rivalries between us, the petty rivalries between jurisdictions. But it's going to take something even more significant. It's one thing to talk about what Archbishop Yakovus may be like. It may be, it's another thing, it's something to talk about what Metropolitan Philip may be like. It's something to talk about, one thing to talk about what Metropolitan Theodosius is like, and that, or what Scoba is like, and it leaves it all up there in some ectoplasm up in the sky, and we can sit in the local parish very pompously talking about why don't the bishops cooperate and we got more problems in the parish than we got in Scoba. We got people griping about the priest. We got people griping about the bishops. And as long as we got people griping about their priests and griping about their bishops, there is not going to be any expansion in the local parish. It will not happen. I am 55 years old. I was born and raised in a Presbyterian minister's home. The truth is I have never known anything in my whole life except something to do with Christianity. I have seen an awful lot of churches. I have been in hundreds and hundreds of churches. I have preached in hundreds of churches. I have never seen a church grow. Never. Where there was disunity in the church, whether it was Baptist, Lutheran, Presbyterian, or whatever. And when we come to the Orthodox Church, it is even more so because we cannot have disunity in the body of Jesus Christ and expect growth. So, one people, one language, and by the way, I don't think that one language is either Greek or Arabic or English. 
uh, we, we, there's a language that we speak. You know, we really believe there's a language of the heart, don't we? And it really isn't a language issue at this point that I'm speaking about. It's a language issue if language is an issue. If you make language an issue, then it's an issue. Then we're going to divide over that. And we squabble, how much of the service is going to be in Arabic and how much is going to be in Greek? Well, then, then we've got a problem. Then we've got some division. But the issue isn't that we go in there and have an all-English-speaking service or an all-Greek-speaking liturgy or an all-Russian or all-Slavonic liturgy or a, 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 whatever. The issue is, is that we've got to speak the same language. You know, there's an astonishing passage in the Psalms. Sometimes translations of, uh, when you translate from Hebrew or Greek to English, it gets really complicated. And sometimes we even chicken out in the translations. But in the 19th Psalm, you read this, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, night unto night shows knowledge. Now, the old King James translated the next verse this way, There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Most translations, and I quite understandably, render the verse something like that, whether they're translating from Hebrew or from the Septuagint. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. There is a word put in there that is not in the text. They put it in there just to try to make it make sense. But if you translate it quite literally, this is the way it reads. There is no speech, there is no language, their voice is not heard. That is, there is a language that is being spoken, but it is not heard, as it were, with human ears. It is, it is not even articulated with the human tongue. It is, uh, it is the heavens speaking. I mean, we, these, are, these are paradoxical expressions because it, because it is the heavens declaring the glory of God, the firmament showing His handiwork, and then literally day unto day uttering speech, night unto night showing knowledge. No wonder when it says there is no speech, no language, their voice is not heard. They didn't want to translate it that way. There's a language that we've got to learn. There's a language that we've got to learn in our heart, and it's a, it's a spiritual language, and it's a language that was put together for us uh, as of the day of Pentecost. The story I read to you from uh, Genesis chapter 11, I haven't finished the story yet, but I, you know, I will get it done. But uh, in Genesis 11, we have the confusion of languages, and that day is remedied on the day of Pentecost. When the Spirit came upon the church and where it became possible to have one speech and one language and where we could come to a conference like this and when we can go back to a parish and to an archdiocese and where we can have one speech and one language and where we can plan, where we can strategize and the things we plan to do will be possible. Now, it is a divine principle I mean, it is God who uttered the, these words. Behold, they are one people. They all have the same language. Whatever they plan to do or nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Well, let's finish the story. So the Lord said, come, let us go down there and confuse their language that they may not be, uh, so that they may not understand one another's speech. 
So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth, and they called, and they stopped building the city. Well, I love it in another translation. It says, they left off building the city. Now, many archaeologists think that what they were actually building here is the thing they call a ziggurat, uh, and which is just one big giant tower. Now, they found the remains of some. And these are pretty good-sized jobs. They, uh, uh, one of them, for example, uh, has a base uh, that is about 100 yards square. Now, just put in your mind a football field. Just put yourself in the Los Angeles Coliseum or, you know, the stadium at Ohio State or wherever you happen to be from. Put yourself in there and imagine a tower that is as, uh, that is as square as the football field and, one, and also that high, 100 yards high. That's a pretty big tower. And they were going to build this tower. It was a religious program. They were going to build this tower ostensibly to reach all the way to God. And God confused their plan very simply. He just made it so they couldn't communicate. Now, you know, I don't know if they ended up with French, German, and Spanish out of that. You know, I, I don't really know what happened. All I know is they didn't understand each other. They can no longer communicate together. And isn't that what so often happens when we get into the life of a local parish? We really don't communicate together. As a matter of fact, how many times do you hear this story our priest just doesn't communicate well. Have you ever heard it? Have you ever said it? What priest in here hasn't heard it? And you hear it backhandedly, don't you? Well, look, parish, you can't talk that way about your priest and grow. As a matter of fact, to try to narrow this down a little bit, number one on how to expand a parish, you got to be loyal to your bishop. You have got to be, you in the Greek archdiocese have got to be loyal to Archbishop Jacobus or you aren't going to expand. And we in the Antiochian archdiocese, you got to start with loyalty to your bishop. Where is the unity of the church according to the fathers of the church? Where is its unity? It is in the bishop. Well, if you're cutting your bishop down, you cut the unity out of the church. And you will not have an expanding parish. And you can make 10,000 plans and they will not work. And you say, but you don't understand our bishop because our bishop just doesn't understand. Our bishop's got an old country mentality. I don't care if he does. Be loyal to his Old Testament mentality. St. Ignatius says that the church ought to operate with the bishop uh, and, and the presbytery and the bishop as strings on a lyre playing a beautiful melody. And the church has to function together in unity. And if it does not function together in unity, it cannot grow. So you start with loyalty to your bishop. I want to be a little stronger on this even. And I guess I listened for too many years to the, the pomposity of this. Well, I'm not, I have no allegiance or loyalty to any human being. My loyalty is only to God. Anyone who tells me that his loyalty is only to God is number one, a liar. And number two, I know he's a loser. And number three, I don't want anything to do with him. 
I'll touch them with a 10-foot pole. I've known too many of them. Do we believe in bishops in the Orthodox Church? Is our bishops essential to the Orthodox Church? Is the bishop the unity of the church? From a human point of view, even from a divine point of view. I mean, he is the icon of Christ, is he not? And say, well, our bishop's in Englewood, or our bishop's in New York, or wherever. Doesn't make any difference. He's still the bishop. I think sometimes if I, if I wanted to preach revival meetings in Orthodox churches, that's, this is where I'd start preaching. Loyalty to the bishop, number one. Number two, loyalty to the priest. Well, our priest is too old. Our priest is too young. I mean, you know, the priest can't do anything right, can he? Oh, he's just out of seminary. He hasn't had enough experience yet. Boy, that's for sure. You know, there are many priests that have had enough experience to handle some of the messes they get in some parishes. Isn't that right? I mean, we, we, we put years on some, we put some years on some priests really quick. They had a lot of gray hair fast because they get into situations where people are absolutely committed to being disunified. And we got to have village rivalries in the church. Isn't it sickening to have old country rivalries in the kingdom of God? we got to play out politics. Now, if you want to do it, that's fine. But then let's not have a seminar on how to expand the parish. And then let's not put that priest in there, young, older, middle-aged, or wherever he is, and then start chopping him up. Because on your scene, your priest is the leader. If you think the parish council chairman's the, the leader of your church, you're nuts. I don't even want to be near your parish. I want to stay away from it. I know there are parishes where the parish council thinks they lead the church. I don't believe parish councils lead churches. I think parish councils are okay. That's all I think. <laughs> I, had to, I even gave that one a little grudgingly. <laughs> but the church just has to be organized. Have you ever seen a human body that was alive that wasn't well organized? You have. I want to be very careful because I do not mean this in any disrespectful way. But we, we, might, we might call it spastic. It doesn't operate well, does it? It doesn't function properly. And it will not grow in the way we're talking about with the expansion of a parish. So where do you start with expansion? Number one, loyalty to the bishop. Number two, loyalty to the priest. Number three, loyalty to each other. You know, we just had a meeting this afternoon. We crammed one more meeting, one more meeting into this day. Only this meeting was a little bit different. I had to miss one of my boys, but there were four of them there. We had to have a family meeting today because we had just a little family affair. It wasn't a serious thing. It wasn't a serious problem. Nobody had done anything bad. But it was just something that needed everyone in the family to decide. At least it needed the boys because it was a boy's problem. Ah, uh, just a silly thing about sports, okay? 
But I want to tell you, here's one father that wants to make sure that he keeps his family united. And I expect my five sons to do their part in the family. Do you know who's the unity of our family? I am. I'm the unity of our family. And I asked the boys to be there. One of them I just couldn't get in contact with, and we had to do it today. But the rest were there. We sat down and we discussed the matter. And I expect loyalty. You know, even, listen, in your parish, even if someone is wrong, you still remain loyal. We'll take care of the problem about being wrong. Wow. I haven't told this story for a long time, but I'm going to tell it now. We were in Oklahoma City. And uh, it was a very tense meeting. This was in 1973. And we were at a restaurant. It was a Mexican restaurant, and that's important to the story. And a young man got up. And he started pointing his finger at me and yelling at me more or less and accusing me of having failed him and, as I recall, failing God. Well, I wasn't quite sure what to say. And uh, I got a little frustrated, and I do remember smashing my fist down on the table and saying I did not. And I do. it was one of those tables, you know, where the table had only one post in the middle and there were no legs on it. And I remember looking, you know, just like you take a snapshot with your eyes, and I remember seeing taco chips suspended in the air and salsa. I mean, it was, they were actually, I looked there just that instant, they were suspended in the air. But I, now, I, I probably wasn't right, okay? My response probably wasn't right. But I want to tell you what happened. That man over there, Father Richard, was on his feet, and his hair was down in his eyes, and he said something. If you ever hear him say this, duck, look. Look out, get out of the way. If he ever calls you my friend, <laughs> you are in deep trouble. I want to tell you, that's one of the highlights of my life. Now, we've worked together since 1960. That's a long time. But it's never occurred to him to decide first whether any of us are right. What happens first is we're loyal. That doesn't mean we're always right, and we don't believe it's okay to be wrong, do we? But we take care of that later, and we find a way to take care of it. And that happens to be one reason why even the EOC grew. Don't talk about, you know, I may talk about Father Gordon and joke, and tonight he says he's going to say things about me, and they're all lies. <laughs> But once it gets serious, you watch. Don't, don't ever get in a fight with Father Gordon on the other side. You think he's mild-mannered? No, loyalty is his first word. Loyalty is his first word. Now, if you're wrong, he'll get, later, he'll get to you later, and then he's nice and mild. But in the fight, he ain't mild. Because when you fight, I mean, you, you know, you ever read The Fathers of the Church? Boy, you read them. I mean, those guys are wild. I mean, they're calling people names. I mean, they're swinging from the floor. 
Now, what we're talking about is the expansion of a parish. Am I communicating? You know, what scares me to death is that we say yes in our minds, but we go back and how seldom do we find a parish that is at peace? Isn't that a true statement? A parish at peace. And we're going to have growth. What are we going to bring people into? Into the middle of a war? Bring them in to take sides? Yeah, I've actually heard it. I've heard it. I've heard people who come to church for the first time and find out the first day they're there that the thing's divided. And people are trying to gain the allegiance of a first-time visitor to be on a side. Now, that doesn't cause growth. One people, one language, the way they are beginning to behave, nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. We have got to have unity. And our unity will involve loyalty with, to our bishop, loyalty to our priest, and loyalty to one another. Now, we'll take care of the problems when we're wrong. Don't think I'm suggesting that we sweep those under the rug. But there's a way to do it very graciously and very politely and very properly and very godly. Okay, secondly, in expanding a parish. <clears throat> in Ephesians, in the fourth chapter, uh, I believe there's almost all we need to learn about how to expand a parish. For the sake of context, I'm going to read the first part of the, the whole first part of the chapter. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love. That's not a bad translation, uh, but a, a translation that I like a little more just because it's a little more graphic, but not really any better. It's just as legitimate. Putting up with each other in love. Because we do have to put up with each other in love sometimes, don't we? Now, I've been married almost 35 years. I mean, we're just a few days shy. I uh, can't ever, it's either September 20th or 26th. Who knows, something like that. I'll figure it out by then. I've always managed. Well, I've almost always managed. That's why I always manage now. Now, we put up with each other sometimes. Yeah, that's really true, isn't it? A husband and a wife do have to put up with... There's times you just put up with each other in love because we do dumb things, but we still put up with each other in love. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So I'm really not off base at all, am I, so far about talking about unity in the parish. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The tragedy is, is that what this says is to preserve the unity. In most cases, we weren't diligent enough, so we can't preserve the unity because the unity's not there to preserve. We've got to go find it. There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive of host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And then uh, I don't want to take time to explain this. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself, he 
who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Now, here we go. Now, we've got one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We've got this unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And he gave some apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. Now, the word saints is used here in a sense differently than we often use it today. And the way we use it today is really quite legitimate because there are saints like St. Gregory of Nyssa and St. Athanasius and St. George and so on. But as you all know in the scriptures, the word saint often refers to the, the body of Christian believers, the saints, the people of God themselves. And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, that's four categories, for the equipping of the saints so that the saints will be equipped for the work of service of the building up of the body of Christ. Now, we talked, the first session, as a matter of fact, the first plenary session of this conference was on the team concept. Here it is, right here in the scriptures. Some apostles, he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. Unfortunately, I believe in our parish growth, one reason we don't have parish growth, parish expansion, is because we don't make use of all those. What we have is the pastor and teacher, or sometimes the pastor isn't a particularly good teacher, or maybe he's not a particularly good pastor, though I think that can be remedied. But the fact is, it's all left to the parish priest and perhaps with a little help from a handful of people within the parish. What I read here is he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why? So that they would do the job of building up the parish. Is that what it says? Now I'm going to read it again because that's not what it says. Now listen carefully. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Who builds up the body of Christ? The whole body, the whole church. In the Orthodox Church, we believe that each parish is a microcosm of the whole. Is that not correct? We believe the fullness of the church is in each parish. Okay? Therefore, what we need on a local level in a parish is not just to say, well, we're going to get a new priest in here, and boy, this one better build this thing up. Well, you, you just put him on his way out before he got there. The skids have been greased under him before he even starts. You ever had a nice young priest come to your church all zealous and eager to go, and by the time he'd been in your parish a couple of years, he was just beaten to a pulp? Well, you've seen it happen in other parishes, huh? Never did in your parish, but it did in the one next door. Well, he's being asked to do something he can't do. He's part of the process. Now, he has a unique function. Surely he has a unique function. But he isn't everything to that church. Its bishop has a function, but there are even others. There's, there have got to be those that are gifted, of God in the spirit, I don't mean with natural gifts and talents, but gifted, who can go and help the pastor, the teacher, the priest, because I believe that's what the, the that's what most what most priests are. That's their job to be pastor or and or teacher.
they need help. And so, why do they need help? To do the liturgy better? No, they don't need help to do the liturgy better. Uh, do they need help to do a better job of teaching? Not necessarily. They need help so that this, the people of God in that parish can be equipped for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Until, until, don't forget my Tower of Babel back there, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, hang on, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Now, I want to, I want to give that last one again, and we're going to work on it just a little. The whole body, and I believe it's fully legitimate to talk about a local parish here. The whole body being fitted and held together by that which one-third of the joints, by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes, that causes the growth of the body. For the building up of itself in love. There's a certain piosity, if there is such a word, in praying, oh God, build up our parish. You really don't find much emphasis on that in the scriptures or in the fathers of the church. There's nothing wrong with praying for the building up of your parish. But do you know how your parish is going to be built up and expanded if it is going to be built up and expanded? Would you tell me? Who's going to do it? Ah, that's not good enough. Who's going to do it? That's getting closer. Who's going to do it? We're going to do it. The, the, it, the church builds itself up in love. There is a Cooperation. There is a synergism. Those two words are identical. Cooperation that comes from the Latin. There is a synergism that comes from the Greek. It is a working together. God works, we work. It's as you read in Philippians, the third chapter, where you read, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. Do you know what the verse just before says? Now, we used to quote this all the time. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. See, who does it all? Talk to me. Who does it all? It's God who is at work in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. Who does it? Well, it sounds like God does. You know what the verse just before says? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. You can't work it out without God, but God's just not going to work it out without you. 
There is a cooperation. And so if we're going to see a local parish expand, if it's really going to grow, if it's going to build itself up in love, what's going to have to happen? The pieces are going to have to work together. And it's got to understand itself as being the body of Christ and not just a bunch of folks that get together on Sunday. They're going to have to understand that the reason they come to that Eucharist is because they're above all other places. They are constituted as what they are, the body of Jesus Christ, because they come to eat his body and to partake of his precious blood. And they are nurtured in what they are as the body of Jesus Christ. You know, the priest stands up there and he says those words every single Sunday, and sometimes I think we miss them completely, at least I do. Let us go forward in peace. Who's, for bad grammar, who's us? Better grammar, who's the we? It's the church. Let us go forward in peace in the name of the Lord. The liturgy's about over. We're about ready to go out into the world. What are we going to go forward for? We're going to go out there as a body. We have been nurtured on the body of Christ. We have been nurtured on his body. We have partaken of his blood. And now we're going to go to work. How? As the body of Christ. And the whole body being fit and held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So we have to go back to the parish and the priest has to go back and the, and the lay people have to go back and they, we, we have to sit down and say, hey, now what are we going to do in this parish so that this thing operates like the body of Christ and not like General Motors? Because when you put General Motors organization in the church, it doesn't build it. But when you put an organic organization in the church, it will build when it actually functions as the body of Christ. Number one, we've got to have unity in the body of Christ. We've got to have unity in the parish if it's going to expand. Number two, we've got to have the people of God in the parish equipped if, they're go if it's going to expand. And number three, the people of God in the parish have got to do their individual part in the total function if it is going to expand in them, and they must be equipped for that. Then fourthly, then in your parish you have to come with a plan. Now look. That's why I started with this Tower of Babel thing. Let's say you come up with uh, not the best plan in the world when you come up with a plan on parish evangelism. If you've got unity, if, you, if the people are at least moderately well-equipped and if they're willing to do their job, but if they're one people with one language, what if they've got a relatively, you know, just a fair plan? What's going to happen with that plan? It's going to work. One people, one language. Nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. You know, we, you know why people get depressed sometimes when they go home from a thing like this? They go, we, we say, oh, we had all those planning sessions, we had all those great things on methodology, and we took it back and it didn't work. This stuff works. It just works. The reason it doesn't work, the, let's put it, the reason the parish doesn't grow when you go back is not because the plan wasn't any good, it's because the prerequisites weren't fulfilled. You can take a... If you got unity, you can stay in bed and the church will grow. It will. 
But you do need a plan. And so we, we sit down. Who's the leader of the plan in the parish? Well, he better be. And so when you go back, you know, don't push him. Ask for his leadership. And let's say he doesn't jump up and down when you first get back. Over or under? I want this on the tape. What if your priest doesn't jump up and down when you get home? Cut him down. Be patient. Be patient. One people, one language. If we behave that way, nothing we plan to do will be impossible. Well, I think that probably puts us pretty well off the tape. Uh...